Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We're going to wrap up our time together on the emotional pillar. And if you thought my outfit couldn't get worse or cheesier, it's about to. Uh, and I'll explain to you why I did this. Many of you see the adult side of me all the time. And every once in a while, I let the, the childlike side of me come out. Uh, this is harder to put on without a mirror than you think. Here's the title of the message, Stewarding Your Inner Child. And here's what you need to know. While you see the more adult side of me, the side that God has asked to steward our church and to steward the resources, the people, to steward everything that comes with the bride of Christ as it relates to this church, that takes a lot of adulting. But you also need to know, it takes some, some little boy too. And we're going to talk about something that's very, very important to me and our church. And that is stewarding your inner child. When you're not around, this is what I like to look like. I like to go outside. There's not a weapon in here, just so you know. Some of you don't even know. It's just binoculars, okay? Just binoculars. I like to go outside into the wild and enjoy God's creation, Lord willing, staring at deer with very large antlers on top of their head and elk. Anything with antlers, actually. And I wanted, I wanted you to, to, in essence, be forced to look at the little boy, the whole message, even if it bothers you, because some of you are adulting me right now. Preston, your outfit is ridiculous. First off, you know that verse, the train of his robe fills the temple? Did you know camouflage is the fabric the robe is made out of? No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, is that theologically accurate? I think it is, but probably not. Here, here's what I would say. Some of you are adulting me right now because you've spent a long time protecting your inner child from being hurt because they got hurt a long time ago. And it hasn't, the hurt hasn't been healed yet. And so I know. I know when I talk about childhood trauma, we're going to talk about that. I know that I can always kind of feel it. At first, I feel like the adult in the room looks down at a completely wide open, gaping wound that is gushing blood and says, I'm fine. I'm not hurting. And I'm definitely not taking notes on this message because this is not for me. It's for the people on both sides of me. And then the closer I get in the message to the point of pain, the more I start to feel in the room this. Please don't touch it. Please don't touch it. Please, 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 please don't touch it. It's going to hurt. Please don't. I can feel it in the room. And here's what I'd say. If you're adulting me right now, it might be because you need to hear this message more than anybody. I promise I'm going to be as sensitive as I can be and not strong when I shouldn't be. 
But we have to talk about the little girl, the little boy on the inside of you. It's in scripture. I remember when, I, when Gateway hired me, I was a youth pastor. And I remember a moment when I was frustrated working with teenagers. And I said to the Lord, I can't wait for the day when the only people I work with in ministry are adults so that I never have to deal with this silliness ever again. And you know the Lord was just chuckling. You know one of the first things I learned the first couple of years of being a senior pastor? 65-year-olds are just 15-year-olds on the inside. 35-year-olds are just 8-year-olds. It's a fact. And if you want proof, just go back and read through everybody's social media interactions during the pandemic. Bunch of 11-year-olds. I'm just saying. This, we got to talk about this. Okay? I'm not advocating giving your inner child whatever they want whenever they want. That's bad parenting. I'm just advocating that a godly way to live is to steward the adult in me as well as the little boy in me. Both matter to God. And hopefully, especially if you're adulting me, you'll get a little something out of this message because one of the most misunderstood aspects of the kingdom of heaven is, this, is the essential aspect of entering it as a child. Matthew chapter 18 we start in verse one. I read through all of the commentaries I have access to, which at this stage of my career is probably about 40 to 50. And here's what I found. Every one of the commentaries I have access to, each of the theologians said that the point of Matthew 18, the first six verses, was humility. And I can get that. Verse one starts with the pride of the disciples. Verse three, Jesus addresses being humble like a child. But verse six, Jesus flips the script, and I'm convinced this one verse makes it pretty obvious Jesus wasn't just talking about humility in Matthew chapter 18. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse one. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Hit the pause button. Okay, I... I when I read scripture, I, I see pictures. So here's what I see. I'm not saying it's right. I think it might have been a little girl. And because I'm the father of one little girl, I have a habit you should know about. I see all little girls like my little girl. And so my little girl had blonde ringlets and glow-in-the-dark blue eyes. Okay? I know every little girl doesn't have blonde ringlets and blue eyes. I get it. Okay? But just as a daddy of one little girl... That's how I process little girl. So I just imagine Jesus calling this little girl, maybe around seven. Come here, sweetie. And she kind of sheepishly comes up. Jesus has the most pure and sweet look on his face, sweet smile. She smiles back. I think she, maybe she even sat down on his knee. This is, this is the picture I see as we read this, okay? Jesus calls little girl, verse three. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. We get the repentance part. You got to repent. Jesus puts on a level of repentance, being like a child, 
In other words, Preston, if you want to understand the way the kingdom works, you can't do so trying to process it like an adult. You have to understand it from the perspective of a child and enter this kingdom like a child. Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, goes further. He says, let the the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Jesus says, this this is what the people of, of the kingdom are like. They're like little children. Now, those of you who are adulting me right now, let me hook you up just a little bit so you don't freak out, okay? We are not called to be childish. We're called to be childlike. Big difference between childlike, which is about innocence and purity of heart, and childish, unrestrained, immature, give myself whatever I want, whenever I want, right? I want to scream, I scream. I want to throw a tantrum, I throw a tantrum. I want to walk out, I walk out. Okay, that's childish. And this behavior is actually covered in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. What were these things Paul was talking about? Theological things. More specifically, he was talking about tongues. He says, don't be childish about this. You need to be a discerning adult, a wise adult. He says, but be innocent as babies when it comes to evil. In other words, remain pure, protect your innocence. But be mature in understanding matters of this kind. Okay, here's one of the biggest reasons why this message matters so much to our church. One of the values God created our church to be built upon is innocence, purity of heart. One of the highest mandates I believe God has given our church is that this be a house of innocence. Here's what that means. A house that is led with innocence. A house where people can be innocent, protect their innocence, but also a place where people who have lost innocence can regain it. You know what one of the biggest tragedies of my career could be that God could call you to this place to be your church for a decade and a half. Now you could be here 15 years and leave just as hurt with unresolved trauma deep in your heart as you were when you got here. That God would bring you to a house of innocence. How tragic would it be that you could spend that much time here and still leave without regaining your innocence. We're called to be childlike. Now, when we talk about stewarding your inner child, there's something we have to talk about, and it might not be be fun for some of us. If we're going to steward the inner child well, we have to talk about childhood trauma. And that brings us to point number one, to steward the little boy in me, to steward the little girl in you. We have to let hurts be healed. We must let hurts be healed. Trauma, when we're little, is anything but little. Something I noticed watching my children grow up, when they were like three, four, five, 
and they would get hurt, maybe someone would fall and skin their knee. They would run to mommy or daddy and say things like, fix it, daddy, or make it better, mommy. Holly would say, you want mommy to make it better? Make it all better, mommy. This is how they talked when they were little and they got hurt. But I noticed something interesting. As they started to become teenagers, I would watch them get hurt, and then they would do this weird thing. It was like, I'm fine. You go, where did you learn that? I don't really roll like that. Like, if I'm hurt, I'm going to tell you. Like, what happened here? Which I'm fine. It's almost as though they were hearing a voice that was saying, if you're really strong, don't show your pain. When they were young, they had no problem being honest about their hurt. But as they've gotten older, it's like somebody got in the way and said, no, don't show your pain. That's not what adults do. I wonder how many adults we have in our church who have gaping wounds in their hearts with blood flowing out every day emotionally, relationally, and they're saying, I'm fine. Nothing happened. Here's one of the things that concerns me. It's not uncommon for trauma that is unresolved to create more trauma until it is resolved. In other words, other people get hurt until I have the courage to deal with my hurts. It's not just as simple as hurt people hurt people. I've been hearing that phrase for half of my life. It's so much deeper than that. If I don't deal with my hurts, it raises the chances I'm going to hurt the very people I love the most. So it's not just a me thing, because if it were just a you thing, you could convince yourself, don't deal with the trauma. It's fine. You'll be okay. Shake it off. But my hurts, if, if they go unresolved, can cause me to hurt the people I love. Now, I, I want to read you a list that's a little bit... Uh, excruciating, okay? If you're dealing with unresolved trauma, let me give you my definition of unresolved trauma, I'm trying to give you a simple definition. Unresolved trauma is a traumatic experience which has not yet been allowed to be healed by God. That's unresolved trauma, okay? And if you're wondering, what's a traumatic experience? An experience becomes traumatic when they overwhelm my ability to cope. So one person might find one experience to be traumatic and another person doesn't even see that as traumatic. It's not about the event. It's about my ability to cope. So for one person, as an eight-year-old, one comment had the power, one negative comment from someone they looked up to had the power to sink their battleship. When someone else heard a hundred of those and it didn't hit them the same way doesn't make one stronger or weaker. We're all different. An experience becomes traumatic when it overwhelms my ability to cope. And I want to give you a list. I won't call them symptoms. Let's call them behaviors. If you're struggling with unresolved trauma, you may not even know it, number one. And trust me, I'm not the kind of person that just says, every mood swing I have must have unresolved trauma in my life. Okay? 
I, I don't do that kind of thing, but I also don't take it lightly because hurt is hurt, especially as it relates to children. Because as children, we don't have the ability to process as well as adults. Here's what's amazing. If you're dealing with some unresolved trauma from your childhood, here's, here's the really good news. God is with you. And as an adult, you have some abilities to process and cope and walk with God relationally through his process of healing that you didn't have when you were a child who experienced the trauma. You have some new skills you may not even be aware with, aware of to be able to be healed, to receive healing from this hurt. But you have to let the child deal with it. So let me give you a list of some behaviors. When we're struggling with unresolved trauma, this list is actually online uh, on the emotional pillar page. Let me just give you 10, okay? 10 behaviors that are synonymous with unresolved trauma. First, anxiety or panic attacks that occur in what would be considered normal situations. Second, a feeling of shame, an innate feeling that they are bad, worthless, or without importance. Third, suffering from chronic or ongoing depression. Fourth, practicing avoidance of people, places, or things that may be related to the traumatic event. This can also include an avoidance of any place which brings up unpleasant emotions, including the church. Number five, sleeping issues, including trouble going to sleep or staying asleep. Six, suffering from feelings of detachment or feeling dead inside. In a conversation, maybe a wall goes up. It's called a trigger. A wall goes straight up and I'm detached. It's like an out-of-body experience. Number seven, disassociation as a real disconnect in situations and conversations. I literally, if, if the inner child and the trauma that child experienced is felt again, I literally disassociate. The adult disassociates from the child. See this all the time. And what happens? We divide ourselves. How can that be the integrated life, the abundant life Jesus died to bring when I have to separate myself from myself? Dissociation. Number eight, hypervigilance. A constant feeling of being on guard. Number nine, uncontrollable anger and acting on it. Number 10, unexplained or irrational fears of people, places, or things. Here's the good news. Resolving trauma involves the heart being healed by the Father. It can happen no matter how deep or how strong the hurt. But here's, here's the problem. Emotional wounds don't just magically heal all by themselves over time. They get worse. And if you've got them, don't listen to that voice that says, this is just the way it's going to be for you for the rest of your life. Question, is that how God talks? Is, is that literally how he talks? Does a perfect father step into a moment of pain for one of his children and say, this is exactly what I wanted today. Preston to be hurt and to stay in his pain. Is that how God talks? No, no, it's much more like this. 
Come here, sweet baby. Here. You want daddy to make it better? Yes, God, I don't know how to process this. Let's talk about it. Let's take a walk. You know one of my favorite things about Jesus? He never ran anywhere. He walked everywhere. Want to know why? Because you can't run and talk simultaneously if you're me. Have you ever tried to run long distances and talk to someone? I remember the day when Holly was running. She's like, come run with me. I'm like, great, but I like to talk. Let's let this be part of our time. When she gets out there and she's running like a seven and a half minute mile pace, let's just say I'm not, okay? The only thing I have going for me is a longer stride. That's it. When we start talking and running, I couldn't make it a half a mile. <sighs> she's trying to talk. I can't talk. I think this is why Jesus walked everywhere because the conversation is too important to neglect. So let's walk together. Let's walk. Okay, I think for some of us, Jesus wants to take a walk today. I know through some emotionally difficult stuff. Please, if you're someone who's experienced some childhood trauma, and one of the questions you're asking, I get asked this question pretty consistently from people who've experienced childhood trauma, especially when it's really, really terrible, grotesque to a child. Here's the questions I typically hear. How could God say he loves me and let that happen? Some even say, how can God love me if he did that to me? I don't have time to break down the entire theological answer, but here's what I would say. And you might theologically be on the other side of the aisle. It's okay. But as it relates to free will, I personally believe that God desired to give man an opportunity to respond in love to his love not like robots. And to do that, he had to give free will to mankind. Here's the downside of free will. Free will has been used by many a man, many a woman, to do some terrible things, to make some terrible choices that hurt God's very creation. God didn't do it. It's a fallen world and man chose, and I am terribly sorry, but please don't create a theology around someone's fallen, sinful nature. God is perfect, but this world is not. But if you're someone that would say, here's what I try and help people understand when they ask, how can God say he loves me and let that happen to me? The question that's really being asked is, does God care about my pain? And I wanna show you a verse in Matthew chapter 18. Okay, remember the picture I kind of painted? I I think it was a little girl. I see a little girl sitting on the knee. Jesus talks about humility. Then he gets to verse six and he kind of gets really firm. And it seems, if this is a discussion on humility, verse six seems totally sideways. But I'm convinced Matthew 18 is not just about humility. It involves humility, but it's really about the innocence of a child. One of the most sacred and special things on the earth the innocence of a child. And watch how gangster Jesus goes on a dime in the middle of this discussion. Matthew 18, verse six. Jesus says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
Can I give you my paraphrase? Now let's go back to the picture that I kind of painted. You might see it totally differently. That's okay. But the picture I see, I just wonder with how firm and strong he gets in this moment. I just wonder if Jesus didn't reach to play with the little girl's hair. Remember, he, he's perfectly pure. There's no sin in him at all. So some of you, you might even flinch when you hear that. I wonder if he went to, to just put his hand on the little ringlets, if she flinched. Which we've, we've all seen flinches. Some of us have flinched. And I wonder if a flinch was what set Jesus off. Because here's my paraphrase of, of what he says. He's talking about the innocence of a child how important it is to entering the kingdom of God. And then he says, and let me just tell you, my paraphrase, let me just tell you, if anybody causes one of these sweet little children of mine to sin, if you become a stumbling block for them, let me give you a heads up. If you have to choose between falling into my hands or my father's hands in our wrath and having a millstone of concrete tied around your neck and jumping into the sea and drowning, heads up, take the millstone option. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18. So if you have been hurt, if someone took advantage of you as a child, you need to hear this, maybe nothing else. Jesus absolutely cares about your hurt. Especially if you're still hurting because of it. And here's what I would say. Point number one is not about fixing it. For many, this is, this is not a problem that just came in a day. It came over time. And so time will be at play, typically, in God's process for healing the hurt. Here's what I'd say. If this is you, and we hear it all the time. I've never told anyone this before. It's, it's like the enemy gets people convinced. Don't tell anybody your truth. I'm not talking about your personal truth. You make up a relativistic truth. I'm talking about don't tell anybody your story, the true story, because they will not love you. Is that how God talks? Is that how God's family talks? It shouldn't be. If you're someone who's experienced trauma and it's unresolved, whether as a child, a teen, a young adult, six months ago, if you have some unresolved trauma, we want to help. We want to help you. And if you would, and we're, a very small group of people are going to have access to this email. But I'm going to ask you to take another step and to email care at gatewaylife.com. You don't have to be just giving us all the details. You can share whatever you want. But we want to meet with you we want to help press in and hear God with you about God's process for healing your hurting heart. So if this is you, please don't let it go by without reaching out and saying, I want to experience healing in my heart. Emotionally speaking, I am not enjoying the abundant life Jesus died to give me. Because some things happened to me and I haven't dealt with them, it doesn't make you bad or weak, but it does make you brave to say, I'm ready to deal with this and experience the fullness of the life Jesus died to give me in every area of my life, including my emotions. So please email care 
at gatewaylife.com. This brings us to point number two, and there are only two points in this message. And and this one is lighter than the first one. Uh, I I don't want to load you up with too much. This really could be a series, but I understand if I said I was doing a series on childhood trauma, probably a third of you wouldn't come back until the series was over, which probably says a little something, that maybe we should talk more about this every once in a while so that we can be healthy adults. I can't be a healthy adult if I don't take care of the hurts the little boy has endured. So, point number two. Something that's really important when you talk about stewarding the little girl, the little boy inside of you. The little girl, the little boy inside of you has a lot of favorite things. She has a favorite dress. She has a favorite color. He has a favorite place. He has a favorite restaurant. He has a favorite food. She has a favorite color. She has a favorite day. She has a favorite Hallmark movie. He does not. (laughs) She's his favorite, not the movie. A little boy, a little girl has a lot of favorite things. But here's what scares me about adults today. They basically have a forget you mentality as it relates to the little girl, the little boy. You're an adult and adults don't have needs like children. So grow up and act your age. It's interesting to me that when we say to other humans, hey, you need anything? What do adults typically say? I'm good. I'm good, right? What do children say, especially around Christmas time? They do not say, I am good. They say, I need this, 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 I need this. They don't just say, I want. Adults say, hey, you need anything? No, I'm good. Children say, no, I need. I need. It's as though they don't even know they're not supposed to say that. Here's why, because we're not. God created us with needs. And one of the best things you can do to steward the little girl, the little boy inside of you is study her. Go back down memory lane. What made her smile the most? She loved to ride a horse. (laughs) Duh, it's because that's on her favorite things list. When was the last time the grown woman got on a horsey? That wasn't a carousel. That made stinky smells. The little boy loves to hunt. When was the last time he got to be out and see a deer in his binoculars? I think we're so busy adulting that we are literally ruining the little boys and little girls inside of us and calling it chivalry and stewardship. There's no such thing as being a healthy adult at the expense of a God-created child. God created this little boy. And I want to show you somebody really successful in scripture that I personally believe was really good as an adult giving the little boy some things the little boy had on his favorite list. Know who it is? King David. The one who said in Psalm 139, I am wonderfully complex. My paraphrase, I am seriously complicated and high maintenance. 
Then the next word's out of David's mouth. How incredible is your workmanship and how well I know it. He was in touch. The man was in touch with the little boy. I'm going to show you some of the little boy's favorite things just so you can kind of have an idea. This works. First, the little boy had on his favorite things list, being with God. It was one of little boy Davy's favorite hobbies, being with God. Psalm 26, verse 8. David says, I love your sanctuary, Lord. Let me paraphrase, like a child. I love, 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 love being in your sanctuary, Lord. That's how my children would talk when they were six and I'd come home from work and they would latch onto my knees like leeches. They wouldn't say what adults say. Love you. We, don't, we remove the I. Love you. No, that's not how a child talks. My children would burst through from the other room and go, I love, 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 love you, daddy. This is what little boy David is saying to his God. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. Just, just get the juxtaposition here. The conversation between the adult and the little boy. The adult says, hey, bro, don't show your cards. The little boy says, can I tell you one of my favorite things? One of my favorite things is a place. It's the sanctuary of God where his presence is. Hey, kid, don't talk too much about your needs. That's weak. Yo, I don't know if it's as much a need as it is just an obsession. Like, I love being in his presence. Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's how a little boy talks. The man says, we don't need anything. The little boy says, hey, if you get the chance to talk to him today, and if he says something like, you can ask me for one thing, can you please just ask him to spend forever in his presence? Pretty, 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 please. Okay, question. How does the inner discussion between the adult you and the inner child you go? Do they argue all the time? And who usually wins? Who's the sweet one? Who's the understanding one? Who's the better steward? Let me just let you in on a little secret. If the adult in you is always winning, the child is dying, not losing. Show you some more things on little David's list of favorite things. Not just being with God, hearing from God. Psalm 28, verse 1. David says, I pray to you, O Lord, my rock, do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. <laughs> That's not how adults talk. Desperation. The adult says, bro, do not talk like that. You can make it through anything. Nothing's going to kill you. No, I think I need to be honest and say, if you stop talking to me, I don't want to live anymore because one of the best things about being me is hearing from you. And the adult says, stop talking like that. And the child says, but I don't know how else to talk. This is what I love. This is what I need. And if the child in you has some things God created you to need that the adult shuts you off from receiving... The adulting version of you is not ever going to be healthy. The little boy had some things he obsessed over on his favorite things list. 
But it wasn't just hearing from God. Little David loved to talk about God. Psalm 9, verse 14, David says, save me so I can praise you publicly at Jerusalem's gates so I can rejoice that you have rescued me. Here's how an adult talks. Nobody rescues us. We're strong enough. We do not need rescuing. We're fine. And the little boy says, forget what he's saying. I don't want to go through him anymore. Can I just say, please rescue me one more time so I can go to the gates of Jerusalem and tell everybody you're the reason I'm still alive. Please hear my heart. I refuse to die this guy. The call on my life is to die this boy. And another one of the calls on my life is to help you many years from now die the little girl, the innocent little boy, not the intellectual adult. And there's nothing wrong with being wise and smart. We have to be good stewards, but not at the expense of the little boy or the little girl. How about this next one? I love this one. One of my favorite Psalms. He didn't just like to talk about God. Little boy David liked to give God all the glory. Psalm 18, 32. David says, God arms me with strength. In other words, everybody's running around saying I'm so strong. Here's the secret to my strength. God arms this little boy with strength. And he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. Then he personalizes it. You, God, have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. Here's a great big boy, little boy conversation. The big boy says, hey, bro, you are the one everybody looks up to. And to be able to trust you, you got to take credit. When there's a win, you got to make sure that people associate you with the reason for victory. And the little boy goes, this is garbage. I just have to tell everybody, the secret to my success is him. He did this. I'm strong, not because I'm strong. The spirit of the living God came upon me in a supernatural way when he dipped the, the poured out the oil and the horn over my head. I can't explain it. I just know this. I'm not strong because I'm strong. I'm strong because he gave me strength. He is the key to being me. And the old man says, don't talk like that. Don't give credit to anybody else. One of the ways you know the little girl, the little boy is winning compared to the big boy, the big girl. Who gets the credit and the glory when you win? The adult is winning if you have to take the credit. But when the little girl can say, hey, I'm not going to be strong right now the way you want me to be strong. The reason I ever have strength, because he gave it to me. The reason I've done anything in my life, he did it through me. That's how little boys, little girls talk in this kingdom. But little boy David didn't stop there. He didn't just like to give God glory. He liked to be around God's heroes. And I don't mean literally God's heroes. I mean God's heroic kingdom individuals. Psalm 16, verse 3. David says, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. How about this one for a big boy, little boy conversation? Big boy says, you're the hero of heroes in this country. You are not allowed to tell anyone you have heroes. That's weak talk. So you need to just be a hero. Don't tell anybody you have heroes. And the little boy goes, hey, I can't hold this in. I have heroes. And the adult says, well, if you're a warrior, 
which warriors are your heroes? And the little boy goes, no, 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 you don't understand. My heroes aren't those who won in battle. My heroes are the ones winning in life and in the kingdom. Well, tell me their names. You don't know their names. Many of my heroes you've never heard of before. We have heroes in this church you don't even know about. And little boy David says, here are my heroes. I know everybody likes to see me as a hero. Here are my heroes, the godly among us who've been faithful to one another in marriage for 60 years, who've walked hand in hand with the God of the universe, moving by the spirit and in the power of the spirit for 48 years. These are our heroes. The little boy loved to be around godly heroes. Then here's my last one, probably one of my favorites. I stole this from David, being outdoors. This was actually on the little boy's favorite things list. Being outdoors. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens, David says, proclaim the glory of God. Question. How can you know the heavens proclaim the glory of God if you're not consistently out beneath them, staring into them? The skies display his craftsmanship. How can one know that the skies display the handiwork of God unless one is consistently out beneath the very sky, staring into it, hearing God speak in response. He doesn't stop there. Day after day, they continue to speak. How can one know that the heavens and the sky speak, that God speaks to them day after day, unless someone is day after day spending time beneath them, appreciating them. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Psalm 55, I personally think David wrote Psalm 55 in a day where he was stuck in meeting after 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 meeting. And he started just doodling in one of the meetings while someone was making a presentation and he started drawing a dove, I think. And then he just had this thought and he wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, David says. I would fly out of here and go rest. He says, I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. The little boy loved the outdoors. Where did the little boy learn to write songs? Armies would sing years later. Outside, in one of his favorite places, beneath the heavens and the sky above. There are things God created you to need that if you're not getting them, the way God created you to receive them. You are not able to do what God created you to do to the fullness of what God desires. I get it that for us as adults, we convince ourselves that meeting any of our own needs, making sure that they're met, is selfishness. That is bubkiss. It's called stewardship. Cars need gas. You need fuel. And one of the fuels God created you to need was the needs he gave you being met. And there's a rhythm God created you to receive these very things. Think about it. God created the Sabbath. He's the one that created the seven-day week. He said, Preston, if you don't get the Sabbath, once every week, 
you're going to be missing out on something I created you to need. And your life will suffer as a result because I created you to need this. Okay, here's my question. What else do you need every seven days to be able to do everything God's created you to do? I'm going to give you some homework. I call it the seven-day survival guide. It's online on our emotional pillar. I want you to go through all six of the major areas of life that we're talking about. I want you to go back to the time where you felt the healthiest in each area. What were you getting? So spiritually, what were you getting? Maybe you're starting your time with the Lord with two songs of worship and just heaven was opening up, it felt like, over that space and place where you're spending time alone with the Lord. Maybe you're reading two chapters a day. I don't know. And it's not a formula. It's just go back to what you've seen work. The reason it worked is because it's on your list of favorite things, whether you realize it or not. Here's how you know. For Holly, I learned that one of the little girl's favorite things is when she's going through a little something. She needs just, not just a pick-me-up, she just needs to be noticed and, and known. I learned, come home with a Coke and a dark chocolate Milky Way. And the little girl lights up like a Christmas tree. If you brought me a dark chocolate Milky Way, I would throw it back at you. I don't like dark chocolate. I don't care if it's healthier. I don't like it. The little boy does not like it. He puts it in the category with broccoli. Hey, I'm different than you. Little boy needs different things. Little girl needs different things. God created you to need these things. Go to work and study the little boy, the little girl. What used to make her face light up back in the day? And how long has it been since her face lit up like that? And here's the problem the enemy gets us stuck in. He puts this whole thing on others. Especially if we've been through childhood trauma. Our heart, our hope is that people will read our mind. Someone missed my needs back then. So if somebody loves me today, they'll catch my needs without me being able to verbally communicate it. That's horrible. I'm not a mind reader. I never would have guessed if you would have said, just pick me up my favorite candy bar. Well, which one's your favorite? You'll know. I I would have gone through a hundred different candy bars before the dark chocolate Milky Way. It's dead to me. I needed her to tell me. This is what the little girl loves. She loves dark, dark chocolate Milky Ways with an extremely high fructose corn syrup and sugar Coke in a bottle. That's what the little girl loves. Okay. And we've helped one another steward the little boy and the little girl better. Okay, go to work this week. What brought a smile to her face? What brought a smile to his face? And then the next step after that is do an assessment on the six major areas of your life. What did God create you to need so that you can fire on all six cylinders well? And begin doing them. Here's why this message means as much to me, maybe, really this principle, as much as anything outside of salvation. I know that's a strong statement. Because years ago, I felt the Lord say, Preston, let me tell you how you'll know you will have succeeded in this career while on the earth. Many, many years from now, through ups and downs, through hards and harder, you'll know you've succeeded 
and the calling I've set aside for you if you're able to die, the little boy. I'm going to do everything I possibly can not to be the big bad adult that you respect, trust, and esteem. I want to be the little boy you want to be more like. Because I listen to the way my daddy talks about that little girl. And I just want you to see her the same way he does. Because you can't step into the fullness of all God has for you in this next season as an adult, neglecting the little girl. I want you many, many years from now to die the little girl. To die the little boy. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's before dismiss. I just want to pray, especially for anyone with some unresolved trauma, especially if it seems to be wreaking emotional havoc on the inside of you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to call anybody forward. I'm not going to have anybody stand up. This is very, very sensitive, and I understand that. But if that's you, I want to pray over you before you leave today. Nobody's looking around. Would you just slide your hand up before the Lord and before me and just put it right back down? Preston, that's me. I've got some stuff, and I know I can't move into this next season until I allow God to heal the hurt and repair the brokenness. So many. Who else? By raising your hand, what you're saying is, I don't want to keep living like this. It's not that my life is terrible. I just know that this isn't the abundant life Jesus died to give me. It doesn't mean I won't have suffering. But if there's hurt inside of me that I haven't allowed God to heal yet, I know it's holding me back. Anybody else? Yeah. Probably 15 to 20% of the room. Anybody else? Yeah. I love it. I love it when a strong man isn't afraid to be the little boy. Especially when a little boy was hurt. It's one of the keys to the man's strength. It's the little boy regaining his innocence. So the strength is never used to harm or hurt. But simply to heal and protect. Anybody else? And I'm going to pray. Hmm. <laughs> That's what I want to be like right there, Lord. It's what I know you want from all of us. Like a child. Not childish, childlike. And God, I pray over those who raise their hands. Holy Spirit, would you move in their hearts right now? In this moment, as they open the door to their heart, and some 
spaces and places that they've tried to keep shoved back, suppressed or repressed. Holy Spirit, I pray they would just sense your peace, ruling and reigning, umpiring their very hearts. Not here to expose, here to protect. Not here to hurt, here to heal. God, you are the perfect father. And I come against every scheme of the enemy to try and put this on you. In Jesus' name. God, may we all be able to come to you like children with fully open hearts, not even understanding the rules. We just follow your lead. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who raise their hands. Pray to illuminate your process of healing and wholeness. Let each of them know. This didn't happen in a day, so it probably won't necessarily be dealt with in just one day. Holy Spirit, would you extend the grace to them to walk? To walk. They don't have to run. They can just walk with you. Would you illuminate the process, the individualized process for each of your little boys and little girls? God, I know. We have to go first. This is one of the things you've called this church to be and to do, innocent like children. I pray for an outpouring of innocence, a return to innocence. And would you give our church a special anointing to help heal broken hearts? to be a part of establishing your process of healing and wholeness. Father, help us all to be more like children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.